Hi, welcome to You Should Play, a podcast about games that you should play. This week, we're doing our post-game episode for Mutant Year Zero. We played the game, and now we're going to talk about it. Uh, my name is Ray, and I'm one of the hosts of You Should Play. And I'm Alicia. And, and I'm, I'm Jared. And I'm John. And I'm Rainier, the gentleman who ran the game. And right now, I'm re-questioning the 45 minutes we practiced to say our names in order. Uh, none of that is true. <laughs> so the ring uh, order. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll do so, a recap. Uh, <laughs> Cut. We played we played Mutant Year Zero. So the first thing I have a question for everybody to answer, and I guess I will start with Jared. Um, uh, first thoughts about the game that we played. What was cool about it? What did you think? Uh, I, it was it was fun. I liked how random it kind of was. Like we would just wander into hexes and we would get something random, but they all seemed them thematically like kind of uh, consistent. Like I, I I got a real feel for what the world was about. I, I, I had the sense of there being a larger world out there that I wanted to explore more. Rainier, how about you as the game master? What were your kind of like takeaways after we played a couple sessions on it? Similar to Jared's theme, um, one of the great things is, is that there is literally a very large volume of random tables whereby as the GM, I stitch things together and I can kind of pregame or not or run it, you know, out of the seat of my pants um, on the day or pregame it and all of the elements fit together. So even if you run the same map with the same group, you're never running the same game because the experiences are never the same. Cool. Alicia, what did you think? What was cool about the game? What are your first thoughts having played Meet Year Zero? As a relatively newer player to tabletop RPGs, I really appreciated the character creation. I thought it was pretty easy. It was something that I could do myself in a short amount of time, which has not always been the case for new games that I was starting. I really appreciated that. And I absolutely loved the mutations for our characters and how random they were. It was just up to a roll of the dice and it was really fun as a group to go through character creation and figure out what our mutations were. I loved hearing them and some of them ended up pretty absurd. You know, Ray, your character was the most interesting mutant I think any of us could have imagined. Frog legs, glow in the dark, you had it all. So that I really appreciated. That was definitely neat. Jonathan, what did you think about Mean Year Zero? I think everything that we discussed is absolutely right. Just the the way it played out, it, it felt like I was playing a game that I was in some futuristic mutated world and everything th everything was logical. So it just made sense. Like if you went here, you would stumble on upon this sort of thing. And if you did something wrong, you would gain a mutation. And that made sense for your character. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess for myself, what I really appreciated, it kind of goes to what a lot of people are saying. But for me, specifically, I felt like the mechanics that were there did a really good job of being a, a narrative driver 
And I don't just mean like the random tables and stuff, although those were wonderful as well, but the idea of like rot, right? Like there's radiation out there and the way the random mutations worked. And then also the way grub and bullets and water and how you have to kind of curate that, like all the little dials on the game seemed really well tuned to create a game that was about a mutant occupied apocalypse. <laughs> it just, it did the job, right? In a very, very kind of clear, clear-eyed way. So, um, Alicia, what was a memorable moment from our sessions? I think for me personally, the what we ended up with doing with our characters in that Ray, you specifically, and a couple others ended up finding uh, treasures. I can't remember what we actually call them in the, or what they're actually called in the game, artifacts. But you'd, we'd find an artifact at each new square we went to, and somehow we designated my character to carrying them all. And so now we all have these imaginary images in our heads of, you know, me with a Mary Poppins bag or with just a backpack of full of rifles or things like that. And it just, it, be, it started becoming absurd, which made it humorous. And there's nothing there are no complaints to be had over something that makes us all laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone else have a memorable moment that they would like to share? I'm finding the baby. I mean, I, 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 mean, I was talking about something specific. Like I really liked finding a baby. Like I had big plans for that baby. I know. Like, you know, we, like, like we were going to name, I was, I was going to name her because I decided it was a she, if no one else yeah. is going to say anything, it's a she. And that like, she was going to be my heir when I took over the arc, like I had a big plan for that baby. Like it made me want to play the game a lot more once we found the baby. All right. Uh, of course, of course yeah. a big boss in the game wants to have a baby. That's that's just oh, how yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. I'm not complete without a baby. Yeah. I mean, as a GM, it was fun to both mix in serious tones with some of the more absurd kind of pop culture references in, within the game. And just stitching in, you know, things that I enjoy with things that I want my game to kind of bring forward. So it was fun to stitch in some of the pop culture references um, through the game, as well as also making you all enjoy those same, you know, moments of, hey, what's going on in the gas station or what's going on in the highway? And even as fun as just kind of taking a current cruise ship and renaming it the radioactive the group all just loved that one oh that was perfect yeah <laughs> i'm pretty proud of that because we just changed the name of a ship that exists out there from the radiant to the radioactive it seemed perfect yeah all of the game kind of peripherals as far as maps and stuff was all just kind of stitched together from real world stuff didn't take a whole lot of kind of extra map making or this, that, or the other for combat maps or table maps. It was just, hey, let's take this, let's present it, let's enjoy this. And, and kind of jumping off that, right? The idea that you set it in Miami, because that's an area that you knew, but then we could have kind of constrained creativity because we could go look up Carnival cruise ship names or whatever names, right? And then find the radiant to turn into the radioactive. Right. I think exactly. sometimes when you're doing world building stuff, if there isn't enough of kind of an overlap with what people are thinking about, it can get kind of clunky or it, it can be yeah. it, it can be more of a struggle. But if you have some sort of reference point, 
you can yeah, then kind definitely. of jump off that and it makes everything flow a lot more easily. Yep. It did help us. For zero prep. You know, <laughs> it, I mean, that's really what it goes down to. Alicia, I'm sorry. No, of course. I was just going to give you credit for allowing us to have creativity in basing our world off of something that exists. For example, being on a carnival ship and then telling us we had to come up with ways to execute someone. You know, that's how we came up with the murder slide. How can we forget the murder slide? I mean, and if you want to know more about the murder slide, you can listen to either one to 19 hours of actual play <laughs> where a murder slide may be mentioned or you can choose not to. <laughs> That's completely your choice. It's up to you. It's definitely worth enjoying. I, not just I'll mentioned, I think it was chanted at one point. Yes, yeah. no, there was, there was a, there yeah, was a was chanting. murder yeah. slide. Absolutely, absolutely correct. Um, so I, I guess for, for my memorable moment, uh, I really, really enjoyed how when we were out in the zone, right, which is what they call the wasteland in this game, that, uh, there were situations that we came upon. And one of the ones that I'm thinking about specifically now was there were like some, some toughs out in the zone and some dangerous individuals. And it was like up to us if we're going to interact with them or avoid them or whatnot. And I think it was Jared's character who was like, hey, go take their crap, right? Like go steal their stuff. And yeah. my character's like, cool, I will do that. And it was fun to do that, but also know that there was a consequence on the back end of that, right? Like that it was completely, it, it was unnecessary in terms of it wasn't going to earn us XP, right? It wasn't narratively important, right? None of that, but it was very real to what the game is. Like other people have stuff of value that if you bring back to your arc, it helps you out or your whole society out. So do you hang yourself out and put yourself out there and try to just steal something and, and try to do so without a fight? I think that's a very interesting kind of kind of thing to do and also have it be like a party choice. And sometimes you wouldn't, sometimes you wouldn't. I like that. I thought that was kind of fun. Can I, can I jump was, on that a little bit? Okay, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, no, I, I was going to say that that also like what I really enjoyed is is I've we've played other games where you collectively kind of create things and, I, and that goes back to my kind of like oh, well is this going to be like Ars Magica are you going to like build like a a meta character or something when you when you build the arc um, and I, and we experimented with a little bit more on our own like looking at the arc rules and um, there's a little bit of randomness in getting the abilities you don't just kind of check off the new additions of the arc you have to like you have to roll for them and so a lot of the stuff the improvements of the arc feel earned like in a weird way they feel earned. Like, it's not just a matter of just being patient, like, well, I'm going to get experience eventually, and then I'll put my experience points here. It's like, you might get it, you might not. You could really try really hard to, like, build, I don't know, like a coliseum of blood in your arc, but you might not get it for a while. You might have to keep trying for a bit. And then when you finally get it, you're like, yes. So, yeah, like, it's what you're saying. Like, we would go around, and I would I would want things. We would try to earn yeah. things for the arc, and it, it felt really cool. All the artifacts that you had to earn kind of contributed to those die rolls, one part. Um, secondly, also, you know, you, as the GM, you can always crank up or crank down the danger. Um, as Raymond was talking about that experience with the, the guys he was stealing stuff from, they were a group of mutants. I could make them as dangerous or as light as I wanted to as a GM. The GM just kind of letting them learn the rules kind of made it enjoyable for the group and kind of okay let's let's kind of progress through a quick short storyline to let the 
the players enjoy the game, but you can definitely dial in the danger by throwing, you know, a couple of hardcore muties at the group um, and, and crunch through that. And I think one of the real strengths of, of Mutant Year Zero and the, the Year Zero engine, right, which is the mechanics that this game uses, Alien uses, Forbidden Lands uses, uh, Vasin uses, which is like Nordic horror, interestingly enough. One of the neat things about this game is, is that there's a rule for fleeing a fight. And my, as a longtime gamer, one of the most frustrating things has always been you're in a bad fight and you try to escape. And depending on the rule set you're playing is in, the rules either allow that to be something that can happen or they don't, right? If you're playing like a more traditional game. So this game has traditional underpinnings and feels kind of kind of traditional in that sense, but there's, you, you can make a roll and be like, I flee. And if you succeed at your role, you get away. You don't get to go back and help the other people who can't flee. <laughs> so, so maybe they're doomed. But I love the fact that that's part of the mechanics here, again, to reinforce kind of the idea of kind of what what the core activities of the game are exploring the zone and amassing artifacts to help out your your civilization but the fact that you can do that and you know as a player you have access to that i think makes made me feel more comfortable right kind of taking bigger chances because i knew the mechanics were going to back me up i knew there was a, there was an exit hatch which isn't a sure thing for my character it was a sure thing it was absurd. Anyway, uh, math stopped and it was a sure thing for my character, not for the rest of the group. I thought that was really a, a great kind of part of the game as well. Jonathan, did you have any kind of memorable moments as we played? Um, besides the murder slide. Um, uh, yeah, there, there was a lot of interesting moments. Um, the interaction with the elder who didn't really care much about what we were doing. And it was kind of just like, so why are you in charge? Like, what? I I guess you know, Chris Dorr is just going to take over when you like get out of the way and that sort of stuff. So it it was very interesting to see the whole the the way the arc worked as a system, having different bosses, and like there was different racketeering going on and stuff like that. Uh, which kind of made sense that, you know, that sort of stuff had to happen. I've been watching the TV show uh, Snowpiercer, which is based on a novel that was turned into a TV movie, then now TV show. Um, and it reminded me a lot like that, where like there was a society and there was a hierarchy and things had to be done a certain way. And there was different stuff going on in the background. There was some deeper mythos behind everything. So I love stories like that. So just having that and then having your best friend be a mutant glowing frog man is just great. So there are I, spoilers around the elder. I'm not going to yes. release them in this episode, but you know, there, there, there are some reasons for that attitude. I'll leave that kind of hidden there for the GMs. So I got good. it. Does anyone else have anything they want to add to the kind of memorable moment gameplay portion before we move on to our next question? I'm seeing a lot of people looking at me like they're thinking no. So the next question, right, is would you play a campaign with a game like this? And the idea of this question is, right, we all have limited time to game. So you have a time where you're going to play a game with your friends. It's going to be game night. 
are you going to be a player who's like, hey, guys, I think we should play Mutant Year Zero? Uh, who'd like to go first? Yes. Yeah. So, Jared. And, I, and, and honestly, I was, I was, I'll be honest, I was surprised. I was not sure I was going to like this game. <laughs> like, I, 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 uh, I, I, I enjoyed Forbidden Lands. I don't know if I wanted to play a continuous like campaign of Forbidden Lands. Like, I wasn't too enthusiastic. I, and I'm, and it's not a reflection on anyone running Forbidden Lands. Um, but I enjoyed this particular game and its set of mechanics and and its setting a little bit more than Forbidden Lands. I, I just did, and I, and I, by the by the the time that we got to like where we were, like I was like, oh, I we're not gonna keep playing, aw, you know. So I, I liked it. Yeah. Uh, anyone else? I would love to play again. Uh, it, with, with all tabletop, it all depends on who you're playing with. Uh, I think we have a group here where no matter what we play, we're going to make it happen. Um, but this specifically had the right sort of tone, themes, and gameplay mechanics, and also environmental mechanics that just made it feel like a well-thought-out game. So, uh, Alicia or Rainier? I would say for me, this is probably around the middle of the list of the ten or so tabletop games that I have that I have tried. Uh, I think that I well, I don't think I know I would play another campaign because spoiler alert, I am, and so I. For me, playing in general is more important than what we play, but I agree with both Jared and John that the group that you're with makes a big difference. And I do think that this is an easy enough game, uh, not just easy, but that it's easy to like. And so it certainly is something that I am willing to and would be willing to try out again with a different set of people, with a different set of characters, you know, different set of mutations see what superpowers we could all get. And so, yes, I would. And so I want to right, jump in there. Uh, I liked it so much that I started running it, right? And that's what Alicia is alluding to, is Alicia, Jared, and a couple of our other friends, we were playing Forbidden Lands, and I was kind of losing steam on that game. There was some scheduling stuff that came up, and then I kind of fell in love with this. I, I mean, I'm not going to go over to my bookshelf, but I bought a hard copy, right? For me, if I buy a hard copy of the game, I'm like, oh, like, I need this thing. Um, so I started, I started running it for Alicia and Jared, and we're kind of playing like whenever we can. It's kind of like our new schedule is like, when are people free? Because we're going to try that out. Alicia, I did want to ask you, though, like you, you put this game at like the middle of the pack for like games you play again. What would you want this? What could you imagine this game having that would bump it up a, fl- a few slots? I think that my answer is probably I got I got caught up in some red herrings and so there were some things about the the game that I didn't I didn't understand at first I thought oh maybe this is a little bit more like clue you know we started out with a murder mystery and then suddenly we were done with the murder mystery and we were out finding stuff in the zone uh we had another murder got caught up in that murder mystery, found a baby, got caught up in what that meant. But really the point of each session was being out in the zone and what we were finding. And so I get, I kept getting caught up in 
in these red herrings or these things that I thought were the compelling story, mm. the most compelling part of the story, but then turned out to be maybe not meaningless, but certainly inconsequential. And so that was a bit of a distraction for me. And I am, I'm a very story driven player. And so that was at the, it was a distraction for me and, or maybe not so much of a distraction as, as just took, it caused me to take longer to get into the point of what we were actually doing because I was still hung up on the previous story. So yeah. that would help me a little bit better or a little bit more is it, <laughs> is a, is a more, uh, a, a more tightly held together story and something that has consistent themes to check into and know that I am, that what we are doing is driving something. Hmm. Rainier. So as the GM, I completely take that on. Um, so Alicia, to your point, there was a story arc that the threat to the arc was actually the murders. So there was something going on at the arc, but at the same time, I needed you to go out and explore to kind of get supplies and bring them back so that you could sustain things. I did not do a very good job of kind of stitching all of that together. Um, so it did feel a bit loose in that perspective. Um, but yes, there are thematically um, threats to the arc that kind of escalate as you go through them. So as a GM, you've, you've got to kind of understand that as you take people in and out of the arc. That, that was one thing maybe I didn't do very well as a GM. You know, it's only been my third or fourth session. Hey, I would the best take... Thing is, the best thing is, is remembering all of that and just bringing everyone together. I really do think that it all worked kind of in a kind of stew together. You just got to remember to bring the, the storyline elements across because I think we did do a good job of some of that. Um, but definitely there's a lot going on when you're kind of generating a storyline from a table. So you just kind of have to, as a GM, stitch those things together. And I will take complete credit for my own distractions as a player, because I did start to understand what was going on. The more we played, the more sessions we got in and I understood the mechanics of the game better. And also the, the fact that I am personally very story driven is a personal and subjective thing. And that's not something that is that that need that you that a game master needs yeah, yeah, to be yeah. responsible for. I know, but I, it's I, it's good to know your players. So it's when when we get together at the table, we've got to make sure everyone's getting a little bit. You know that that's what makes the group a lot of fun. Well, and I and think I, we're all seeing that. I think too, uh, Alicia, because I mean, so I've read I've read those secret chapters, right? That you weren't supposed to read. I, Rainier, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but my kind of understanding of like the play cycle of this game is the opening chapters of the book are establishing character in the world and kind of giving those characters situations to where they begin to understand and explore the world as characters at the same time as players are. 
So you're kind of wandering around and, and you're getting input and you're kind of figuring out what you're going to push on and figuring out kind of the state of play, the map, even like the social map of the game. And then with the meta plot that, that kind of the game master pretty much decides when they're going to push in there, that kind of puts you on the ride for like the core narrative of the game, which is kind of neat. So it's almost like in my head, I was viewing like the first three to four sessions of Mutant Year Zero as almost a prequel book that helps you understand the characters and helps develop a richness of the world. But you're, you're really not as, as a character, as a player, you're not really dialed into like the big story until those other things have been established, which is a neat, it's a neat play rhythm. It's certainly different than a lot of games I've played. Yeah, you where you're, you're, you're wandering and then you're like, things. oh, here's the thing. Yeah, you can always stitch those things in from the, the big meta plot. You know, it's kind of like, um, I hate to use the kind of pop culture reference of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, you have the Avengers as the big, big storyline. And, you know, you have everything kind of from Daredevil all the way up to Spider-Man and Iron Man and whatnot, you know, those all build into that big narrative. Um, you know, I'm playing your group and bringing your group in. It's probably more at kind of that daredevil level where you're you're really not into the trenches until, you know, maybe season three or season four of, you know, trying to stitch in and do some world building so you guys know where you are in relation to this big meta plot. Um, and, and that's, you know, you, you've got to do foreshadowing early on to bring some of that in. The Elder's there for that. The Ark is there for that. Eden is there for that. You know, you've got, you've got these big pieces that you kind of can put into the story. Or at least kind of, you build them as bastions and, and they might be on a pedestal for a while as the GM, but you can still cast the parables and cast the myths and the, and the legends from that to your players through little pieces. I, I, I was actually, I'm glad Alicia brought it up because I was kind of wondering about that. Like, uh, and, and my my pop culture reference is, is much more dated than yours. So, I mean, MCU sounds great. I was thinking Buffy the Vampire Slayer with like, you would have the season long arcs with like the big bad. And yeah. then there were like Monster of the Weeks. And I was like, I wasn't sure if there was a big bad I thought maybe it was just monsters of the week, like like little adventures going out there, and and I guess maybe I'm I'm more jaded as a gamer. Um, like when there's when there's not like a big story arc, like I just kind of like play back and think of England, kind of like I'm just like oh, I'm just gonna enjoy what's here, you know. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry about there being a meta plot, you know. So I, so it was kind of cool to find out there was one, and like those those little oh, things. I, were I tied saw it together. from the beginning. Like uh, I I saw the search for Eden was our basic plot that's what we're going for and then there's this other conspiracy why people are killing each other and that's what that's what we're going to do we're going to find the tools along the way i i've larped for too long <laughs> it's like i have all the tools now i go fight the bad guy at the end got it like well, give me the toys yeah you must have been in some good larps though because <laughs> the I, I was yeah in. totally Yes, yeah. not, not so much. And there, there's even right the constructed universe of the game, which I don't think Rainier we got into as much with you. But as I kind of read yeah. read the secret stuff, because there's again a lot to digest. There's a lot. Like in the arc, D six people in the arc die every session. 
So you start with around 200 and D6 people are gonna die. And if you get lower in food, more people are gonna die. Oh, and also no one can have a baby. So Jonathan's idea that the game's like, you must find the ark. <laughs> like basically, eventually, even as a player, even if no one told you that, yeah. I think session four or five, you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, we had a war with, a, with another group that was tougher than us. And so far, 63 people are dead. Yeah. And we, yeah. we, we, I don't want this to be the sad, slow death game. <laughs> like, yeah. imagine session, session 18's like, what have we done? Well, we made a murder slide. What else did we do? <laughs> we have a nice yeah. library. Um, do you think maybe we should have left the ark? No, let's just rot in peace. Right? <laughs> Literally <laughs> rot in the peace. It's like, yeah. is letting you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like, it's a gas pedal you can press on to kind of motivate your players. Yeah. Um, since we were just kind of playing a very quick and yeah. short story arc, you know, kind of played rules light with some of that to at least, there's so much story, it's hard to condense down to, you know, you know, four, three hour slots. So it was kind of like, so let's highlight the bests. So, so let me ask you this, Rainier, because this is, we're getting off script now. And I, I, I want to let all of our listeners know, I'm violating my half hour long podcast rule. Jonathan, feel free to take out anything that I say if it's too long. Um, but hopefully just- So everything just, you say. Okay. Oh, thanks. Um, this will be the last thing we discuss, and then we'll, we'll just move past it. Um, Rainier, how many sessions do you think this game is supposed to run for? What's your feel? Um, What's your guess? Is this a three-session game, a 50-session game, a 10-session game? Where, where, do you think, where do you think it's supposed to be living? 10 to 20 for okay. our campaign. I mean, I honestly could see what we did went four sessions. I could see it probably going another probably 10 sessions to fully round out everyone's character. Um, I'm seeing a lot of head nodding. And, and I, I honestly do think there's, you know, I kind of rush things to make some loose connections that were there. Um, but I honestly do think we could have probably stretched out um, some of the interplay a lot longer. Well, and, and right, we certainly were not playing in a fully naturalistic way, right? We're playing because we know we're recording a pre exactly. and post game for a podcast. We know we'd like to finish it all up in two to two, three weeks. So like there's, it, it, it might feel different than regular. Um, last thing, uh, you played it. Does anyone have any connections to other games for people that are other tabletop role-playing games where it's like, if you like this game, you should try Mutant Year Zero. Anyone have any of those going on in their head? Or if you like games that do this, you should try Mutant Year Zero. Those sorts so of... I'm dying. I have the alpha rules for Twilight 2000, which is off of the same system, um, which is post-apocalypse military set in the early 2000s. I really kind of want to see how they blend that apocalypse on the same system. It just you know, kind of having grown up in it. And it's, you know, it, it's so vastly different because it's not, it's not kind of the same, it's not an apples to apples kind of transition. You know, even when you say Forbidden Lands, all these other game genres with the same system, it's always fun to see how they kick the tires and play. Um, sure, sorry, there, there's a, a broader universe, which for you, 
kind of, it's fun, right, to kind of carry that mechanical knowledge and see how, if you put an engine in a different kind of car, how does this work in a station wagon versus a sports car versus a van? Um, does someone else have a game that this reminds them of? Or a, if you like this kind of game, play Mutant Year Zero. Any kind of story-driven video game. I mean, because there was okay. there was some real, I mean, like, you could tell this was based on a video game. Like, it's it, like the stuff yeah. where the art, well, the actually, art upgrades. it was uh, vice versa. Game. Oh. Before, it was always a Swedish language first RPG, then came to a video game. Okay, I mean it. It's it's it's, but there but there yeah. seem like there's very video game elements to it. So I mean, if you're like somebody who enjoys video games and you want to make the switch to tabletop, this is not a bad start, I think, to that. Okay, anyone else? No, I just I agree with everything we said. We're all good. <laughs> I, I would definitely recommend if you like games that focus on community building and player adventure, and you get to feel accomplished with a variety of personal and group goals, that Mutant Year Zero will do a good job scratching that itch. And you will be able to have play experiences where you can look back and have artifacts like your, your arc map and the map itself of all your explorations that kind of do a really great job creating that, that artifact of, of your play experience. So I would definitely look into it if, that, if that's partially your jam. So, so one last thing though, like at the beginning of the game, you didn't like me as a boss, Christoph, but by the end, he looked like a pretty good boss, right? No. He wasn't a bad boss? No. 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 Oh, no. no. Come on. No. Who gives, who gives that guy? He was uh, way is, better. This was who used can't... to play. And who uh, the baby? Games. Who gives that guy a Who gives that guy a baby? Uh, it was great with the baby. Uh, Jared, you're wrong in every way. Um, he's a terrible boss. Uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, uh, <laughs> like and subscribe. That's not a thing for this podcast. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to You Should Play, a Ray Nagel podcast, produced by Six Pack Nerds Network.